0: Welcome to the Women of TBC podcast. You'll hear content from women's Bible studies and other women's events. For more information, visit templebiblechurch.org. This is my friend Karen Jennings. I'm excited what the Lord has been doing in her, what He's been teaching her. She's prepared. Uh, Her husband David is one of our elders um, here at Temple Bible Church. I think it's always important that you know who our elders and their wives are. So I'm looking forward to um, to listening to God through Karen today. So would you join me in praying for her and for us that we would be able to hear what He has for us? God, we just praise Your name. We worship You together. We recognize that You are in control of all things, that You are good, and that You are faithful to us. Thank You for what You've taught us already in our groups. Thank You for what You've taught us in our time and Your Word. God, it's amazing to see your glory um, just together. It really encourages me, Father, and I just want to return all that in worship to you. God, would you help Karen today? Would you give her courage? Would you give her the words to say? Would you just help her to to rely on you for every breath? And God, would you give us attention? Would you give us um, just open ears to hear from you? Would you encourage us, Father, through your word? We look forward to what you will teach us. In Jesus'
1: name, amen. Thank you. Okay, so I guess I'm on. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Um, so let me introduce my family. It's kind of the custom. Uh, this my husband, David. She told you about, we've been married 35 years. And our daughter, Sarah, there is 25. And she works in the Dallas area in PR. She's quite the creative Um, Our son that's holding the camera, that you see half his face, that's John. He's 23, and uh, he's in Charleston, South Carolina, with the Navy. Our son, Mark, is 22. Uh, Yeah, they came really close together, and uh, he is in Austin back at grad school. He was in Albuquerque for the summer with an internship. So this weekend, was in august and it was my birthday and so it was a really special weekend we were all together um we floated the kamal river and um, again these are my special people gary would have said you know you can line up all the families in the world this is the one i would pick Um, so but my extended family we did a lot of floating and a lot of time on rivers texas rivers um, in my childhood. So rivers bring back a lot of great memories for me. So let's open our Bibles now to Joshua 3 and 4, and I'm going to have you read along with me on a few passages. The less I have to talk, the more God talks, is the better. <laughs> okay, so how fitting in here in Joshua 3 and 4, we have a very special family. They're on a road trip. There's a river and memorials or memories But just like my family uh, tales, this story is told in fits and spurts. Uh, Don't we all have that relative, you know, that tells the family stories and they go on a side trip and we're sitting on the edge of our seat saying, well, Aunt Dee, what's the rest of the story? Like you didn't finish it all, I don't quite understand. So it's not necessarily being told chronologically, But just like our family stories, it's being told to get across something about the history of our family, something that we need to very much know a truth about our family. So the writer of Joshua uses some techniques that work really well in Hebrew and don't translate quite as well into English. Um, One of the commentaries I read was by Dale Ralph Davis, and he said that the author was using a, a, a... a thing in Hebrew that's very similar to what Karen Smith mentioned, the chiasm, she may have said it different, but anyway, that that thing, okay, where it's talking about the crossing, then the memorial, and then the crossing again. So it's pointing us, everything in the story is pointing us to that memorial setting. Kind of, I missed that the first time through. I don't know if you did. Okay, but he's using this literary technique, and the purpose is to focus on the memorials, because God wants us to remember his ways and to tell others that he is mighty and good and trustworthy. And to help us remember this section of Joshua, I, uh, in honor of Gary, who has been my pastor for 27 years, I chose to alliterate the passage with three Ps. So bear with me, I'm not Gary, okay? But prepare, power, proclaim. So prepare. God, like any wise parent, gives a little preactivity instruction. You know what we do with our kids. You either have littles. Okay, here's what we're going to do, and here's what I need. Here's where we're going to go, and here's what I need you to do. Or to that son that was holding the camera, I need you to follow me because you don't know the way. You know, he's always a kid in front. So, um, But through Joshua, God commands the Israelites to prepare to enter Canaan. Remember, though, that they're God's chosen people, so this preparation isn't about gaining God's favor. Yet God still commands his people to prepare. Let's read Joshua 3, verses 1 through 5. And then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and they lodged there before they passed over. And at the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. For there shall be a distance between you and I, about 2,000 cubits in length. And do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. And then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. So how are the people to prepare? Well, they're going to do some things that I grew up doing while, on rivers while canoeing and rafting. Often when you're, when you're doing that, you'll stop, you'll get out, you'll look at a waterfall... Um, you might look at a real rough section of ha- rapids ahead and you try to make a plan to pass through that safely. Um, sometimes you'll have a guide that'll point you the best way to go down and maybe you just follow them if you're in, a, in a, like in a kayak. But sometimes if you're like me, you just give up and you portage around. <laughs> so, but we see here first that the people get a chance to see the obstacle that's in front of them. They've had a couple of days. They're camped there for a couple of days to consider the danger. They were likely going to cross at an established ford, a place where the the river would be kind of shallow and maybe a little narrower um, uh, and not as wide. That's likely the place where maybe the the, uh, spies went and swam across. But we learn in one of those asides, like my Aunt Dee might go off on, that um, the middle in the middle of the suspense of the story, she stops to tell us, or the, the writer stops to tell us, that the, the water was overflowing the banks. This is springtime. We know that because of the, pa- the passage about the 10th day of the month. And so they were crossing at the most inopportune time of the year. Uh, Think about how swift that current was. There's snow melt coming down from Mount Hermon, which is at 7,300 feet elevation. It's coming down uh, the valley um, to the Dead Sea at 140 feet below sea level, excuse me, 1,400 feet below sea level. So that's a drop of elevation of, you know, almost 10,000 feet in just 130 miles. So, um, as the crow flies, the river's a little longer. Okay. So, those floodwaters, they're not just covering the ford. They're covering trees, other kinds of foliage, rough terrain. Um, They're likely carrying tree trunks. I mean, you've seen the rivers, the swollen rivers here in Texas, right? So, God makes it clear to these people that they are helpless in their situation. Second... They're told that they're going to cross the Jordan, but they aren't told exactly how they're going to get across. Um, they are told it has something to do with following the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. And remember, the ark is carrying those it has those stone tablets and Moses' writings, which are now we call the Pentateuch. And it, the ark is also covered by the mercy seat. So that ark represents the presence of God. An interesting point is that God had been leading them, leading them through the wilderness with a cloud, of, a cloud and a pillar of fire. But now he's going to lead them with his ark, with the word. And he's even going to follow them with his ark, as we're going to see later, with the word. So... Um, Let me, I lost my place. Okay, so in chapter one, God had even told Joshua to focus on the book of the law and you'll make your way prosperous and you will have success. So God instructs them to follow at a distance. And given that it's a valley with slopes and they're coming in an orderly way, they can, and they're all like 2,000 cubics back, which is about three football fields for Texas girls. Okay, so they can all see They can see the ark, they can see the word for themselves. And don't we need to do that too? We need to see God for ourselves. Third, they're told to consecrate yourselves. To consecrate is to set something apart from the secular and the sinful realm and uh, to prepare it for the work and the worship of God. In other words, it moves from being worldly to holy. Sometimes in English, we use words like sanctify, hallow, dedicate. We've seen this concept in our earlier studies. In Genesis, God sanctified the seventh day. In Exodus at Mount Sinai, um, he sanctified, the, he consecrated the people was the term we used. Um, in Leviticus, Moses sanctified the altar and the priest Aaron but, and many of us have dedicated ourselves to raise our children to know the Lord. Um, in my case, all three of my children at this church. So, God commands his people to prepare for his work. The Israelites here, they likely washed their clothes and they abstained from sexual relations like they had done at Mount Sinai. They stopped their normal routine to set their attention toward God. Lastly, three times we hear Joshua tell the priest the what without the how. This is a pattern with God. I know it's not my most fun pattern, but it's his pattern. He often gives us one step at a time, and he reveals the next step after we obey. Joshua tells the priest that they're going to go before the people, They're going to stand still in the Jordan, and that they're going to pass over before the people. So wading in with a large box on poles could be a disaster. If you've ever seen a canoe wrapped around a tree, you know, that's the idea. Um, And a multitude of men, women, and children, and a tabernacle, and the spoils left from Egypt. I mean, they got a lot of stuff they got to get across. But the priests obey, even though nothing has been said about how it will be possible for them to stand still in the river. They set out before Joshua, even before Joshua tells the people about the wonder that that they can expect to see. Do you suppose that their time of preparation had enabled those priests to trust God's appointed leader because they trusted Yahweh? Power. And why are the Israelites told to prepare themselves? Well, after being told, consecrate yourselves, at the end of verse 5, it says, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Wonders are amazing things, marvels, miracles, those times when God displays his wonder in our world or his power in our world in a mighty way. And what wonder, what power, what wonder-working power uh, will they behold? (laughs) Let's pick up at verse uh, 13 in chapter 3 still, where Joshua describes the detail of the wonder before it happens. He says, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above will stand up in one heap. And then in verse 17, Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. And then 4.18, so I'll give you a minute. Look at 4.18, we get another unusual detail. And when the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up out of the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the feet of the priest were lifted up on dry ground, The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed its banks as before. God displays his power as Lord of all the earth. He's just shown that he's powerful over nature and over time. God stops the water the minute those obedient priests' feet, the soles of their feet, hit the water, and he holds it back in a heap until the very time when their feet hit the dry ground on the other side. The priests simply stand still in the spot where God appointed them to stand. God did the work, and the ark represents his power as well. And since the people were told to stay back from the ark, you know, because we're not quite there yet, they're just now seeing the wonder, they get to see... The power, they get to see the power of God to hold that water back. Now they likely can't see the heap because it's probably a few miles upstream, but they see the water stop just in time, and then they're on the other side, on the other hillside, watching to see it come back just in time too. So God displays his power as Lord of all the earth. Proclaim. In the middle of all these instructions to the people and the priest, and before Joshua reveals the wonders that they will see, we see a command in verse 12 about choosing 12 men. It's just a little uh, foreshadowing. Nothing more is said until chapter 4, when we learn that the Lord is telling Joshua that he wants a memorial. God wants them to proclaim his might to all and to fear him forever. And a stone memorial is supposed to help them do this. So let's go to chapter four, verse one. This is that point that, remember Mr. Davis talked about, we're pointing to this passage here. So when all the nation had finished over passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people from each tribe a man and command them saying take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan from the very place where the priest feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you will lodge tonight and then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel whom he had appointed a man from each tribe and Joshua said to them Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone on his shoulder, uh, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. We saw signs back in John, didn't we? And when you, your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall tell them the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. So note how the first memorial mentioned is to be built. It requires a stone from each tribe, even those three that had already gotten their land. They're, they're with these guys, too. So one man was chosen from each of the 12 tribes, and after the people had crossed, he was to go back to the place where the priest carrying the ark stood, and he was to pick up a stone and carry it on to their camp for that night. Oh, okay. Together, we claim the, the Lord's might to all, and we fear him forever. We also learn in, in verse 9, of that, just after that passage, that Joshua sets up a second stone memorial of 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan where the, the priest stood. Some translations would indicate there was just one, but I found more support, and like our, our author felt that there were two, one at the Israelites' camp of Gilgal, that we'll hear about in a minute, and one in the middle of the river. And when Joshua explains the reasons given for making these memorials, I think we see why two memorials were required. At the close of the passage, Joshua sets up the 12 stones carried from the river to Gilgal, and he explains the purpose of the memorials. Let's look at chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. And those 12 stones, which they took out of the river Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Well, then you shall tell your children, you shall let them know that Israel passed over this place on dry ground. Do you hear that repetition, That the Hebrew language, the way they use that? We do that with young children with songs and things. So um, anyway, it sounds repetitious to us as English readers, but that's what's going on. So the, the Lord dried up the waters of the Jordan for, until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Reminding him again, you know, you had a chance. You did this 40 years ago, remember? <laughs> but here's the thing I want you to see is so that this is the reason for the memorial. So that all the peoples of the earth, this is chapter number 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. All the peoples will know he's mighty. And that you, you the Israelites, may fear the Lord your God forever. So remember they crossed at a ford. This would have been a public place where people from many lands and tribes would pass on a regular basis. They would nor- it would normally be shallow most of the times of the year. There's a crossing like this out at Camp Dehoya, the Boy Scout camp, where with it has rat- wagon wheel ruts you can see in it. It's kind of cool. It was part of the Chisholm Trail. Uh, the memorial in the riverbed would be seen when the water was low, and most people only traveled when the water was low. And it would serve as a testimony to all the peoples of the earth that the, Lord, the hand of the Lord is mighty. Their encampment at Gilgal, on the other hand, was private. Note that Gilgal would be their encampment for that night and for many to come. We learn next week that it's the place where they're going to faithfully prepare themselves for the battles to come by circumcising every adult male. It's the place they return to after battles at Jericho and Ai and Gibeon. And as Amy Jimenez told us um, in the opening session, they were entering this promised land for rest, but they would have to fight for it. Our passage even earlier in chapter four refers to the 40 fighting men that passed over the Jordan um, the the very first people that passed were these forty fighting men from excuse me fighting men from the two and a half tribes that had already gotten their land. So Gilgal was also part of Caleb's um, inheritance. He's going to get this as being that faithful spy that had gone out with Joshua forty years ago. Gilgal's a pretty cool place, don't you think? <laughs> So this memorial, you know, it could have been a tower, but it could have been a circle. Gilgal kind of sounds like circle in in Hebrew. Um, so, but it's that memorial is going to stand there and remind them that together they could indeed fear the Lord your God forever. And finally, let's remember too that now they're a nation. We they're called a nation for the first time in chapter three. Um, This is important, because together, that's how they're going to proclaim their God, Yahweh. They'd been slaves in Europe, in in Egypt, uh, and without freedom. They didn't have possessions. They didn't have a government. They didn't have land. And now they're a holy nation. You know, they come out of uh, Egypt, and now they have possessions. Um, They're free from, they have to wander a while, but they eventually get a law on Mount Sinai. They get the written word as Moses is writing it down. This is so cool that he was writing it down over this whole thing. Like I didn't quite put that together until I was studying for this. Um, But, and now it's in the ark. Um, And soon they're going to inhabit their very own land. You know, it's what a nation state has land. It has a government. It they're a people. We're a people, the Americans, or whatever. Okay, so, so their identity has changed, just like Rahab's identity had changed that we heard about last week. Okay, so from this story, we're always asking, how does this story point us to Christ? And in this passage, we see that the Word of God that was contained in the ark made a way for the Israelites to cross the Jordan, to be rescued from the wilderness, and to become a nation identified with their God, Yahweh. And we saw in the New Testament, particularly when we studied the the Gospel of John together, that the Word became flesh, Jesus Christ, and by his great love shown to us on the cross, he rescued us from the power of sin and death, and he made us a citizen of his kingdom. Just as Israel crossed uh, through the waters of death, baptism is a symbol of our death with Christ and resurrection to new life with him. Water kills. You know, you sing of these bad storms and things. Water can kill. but it t- So it took a miracle for Israel to cross those waters of death. And for us, only in Christ are we rescued from death and brought to new life and given a new identity. I love the words of 1 Peter here verses uh, chapter 2 verse 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is the church, you guys, for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, hear it, out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Let us not forget that as citizens of this new nation, we are commanded to prepare for the work and worship of God. Leviticus 11.44 commands, consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. That was written to the Israelites, but it's repeated again in 1 Peter 1.16. We're to be holy because God is holy. We're to be set apart to see the work and wor- for the work and worship of God. So, what does this preparing look like? Well, we read His Word. I mean, y'all talked about this at your table. So, you know, you could read His Word. You can meditate on specific passages, like Joshua was told to do in chapter one. Uh, we may copy those, capacity, those passages. Some of you with calligraphy, you know. Um, Pray through scripture, worship through song. We may walk in nature and consider his ways. That's my husband's favorite. We may paint something that makes us think of him. We may fast from food or activity and consider the Lord instead. Uh, We may think and write down what he's been revealing. If you'd like to grow in your ability to prepare or what uh, is called spiritual discipline, consider coming to the ladies' retreat in May. My daughter and I have been extremely blessed to attend for the last two years. And we can carry out the work and worship of God by his power. Paul explains this power to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but in the one to come. So the power in us, and I'm sorry, I p- pee, <laughs> articulate that. Okay, the power in us that enables us to see God's wonders and also to do the work that God has prepared in advance for us to do is the same power that rose, that Christ rose from the dead, that raised Christ from the dead. There's nothing wimpy about the power within us when we are prepared and guided by the Holy Spirit. Here's a picture of the tomb near Golgotha in Israel. We got to go in 2015. Um, but you know that tomb, the doors open, the stones, there's a, the stone's a different place on the road. It's not right there. But um, when you look inside that, you see he is here, for he is risen. Um, The power that raised Jesus from the dead didn't leave him in the tomb. He was not only raised from the dead, but he was seated in those heavenly places. He reigns over this age and the one to come. We're commanded to proclaim Christ's work until he returns. Like the memorial for the nations built on the ford and the crossing in the Jordan, we should join with Paul in saying... He says this in Romans 15, 19 through 20. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Our allegiance also has changed. Just like Rahab's, we're no longer who we once were. We've been rescued from bondage to the things of this world. And we owe our allegiance to our King Jesus. And like the Israelites... We have a way to proclaim his mighty work on our behalf and to remind ourselves together to trust him forever. We did this this Sunday. Communion or the Lord's Supper was established by Christ himself as a memorial that we share together. We always read this passage in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three 23 through 26. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, Took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is in you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you drink this bread and drink, eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim. The Lord's death until he comes. Christ set this memorial up for us. It's it's why it's one of my most favorite times in the in the church body. So we've looked at how this applied to the Israelites, how it applies to us as a church body. Um, Amy encourages us to share something personal. That's kind of hard for me sometimes, but anyway. So how does this apply to me personally? Well, these three things: prepare, power, proclaim. This talk um, has been my obstacle.
2: (laughs) I was doing great until my Jordan River. I I didn't want to talk about myself, okay. Uh, When Amy asked me to speak, my first instinct was I don't talk in front of people. But I knew
1: I should at least pray (laughs) and read the book. So I read through Joshua, and the first flashing light was in chapter (laughs) 1. Be strong and courageous. Three times. The reason that we can be strong and courageous is because God first promises, I will be with you. And because the word. He talks about the word over and over again, to be strong and courageous. The second flashing light (laughs) was at the end of the book, in chapter 24, verse 15. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, this verse has been on the wall of my house for 32 years. Here's our first house. Oh, goodness. Oh,
2: what'd I do? (laughs) What'd I do? Okay.
1: Okay. I know. Oh, there we go. Good deal. Victoria took care of me. This was our first house in Temple. And yes, I've already lived through mom, when they, they weren't called mom jeans back in the day, they were just high-waisted. But anyway, I've lived through mom jeans. I've lived through men wearing short shorts. (laughs) So my husband doesn't know I showed you this. Anyway, (laughs) anyway, this house had belonged to a couple that loved the Lord. But tragically, they were killed by a drunk driver. And because they had no children, the house was willed to the church just down the street. But it took a while for the estate to settle. And so we had tons of work to fix it up. I won't even... It was a lot of work. Anyway, but one thing that we didn't change was that there was a plaque just inside, on the interior side of that door that said, oops, oh, sorry, I'll get to it. Just back one more. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was on the back of the door of that house. Um, and it's appropriate in the picture there that my, it was my friend uh, Rochelle Brand was in it. She loves the Lord, too. She and her husband, Rick, helped us move into that house, and they loved on us. We had other church members just down the street, and we eventually learned that the DeSalvos also lived in our neighborhood. This house is where... I'm going to show you that house again. That's the house where we faced the obstacle of infertility. And we saw God powerful... You see, we thought of ourselves as a family, but we wanted to be, you know, we were a couple, we were a family, but we wanted to be a house. We wanted to have children. Um, That verse on that door was a prayer every time we passed through it.
2: This house is where we turned from the ways of the world because of the obstacle in front of us. We had nothing to do but prepare. We had to be in his word. We had to be with his people. And together we sought the Lord, and he prepared us.
1: And he showed us his power when he blessed us with Sarah. How can I not proclaim that he is
2: mighty, and that he is good, and that he is trustworthy? So I tell you today, together with so many special people in this room, that Yahweh and his son Jesus are mighty, and they are good, and they are, can be trusted. You can trust them personally. Let's pray. Just a moment. Father, thank you for your presence among us. And Jesus, thank you for loving us enough to die for us and to bring us to new life.
1: And Spirit, thank you for your power that enables us to study your word and be prepared to proclaim your name. Father, help each woman that hears this testimony know with certainty that your word is true, that you are mighty and you are good and you are trustworthy. And may we walk in your power together to proclaim you as Lord of all the earth to the nations and to each other. And may we trust you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.